Welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, where we talk to great bosses and those who build great bosses about what it takes to be a great boss. And now, here is your host, the founder and CEO of Boss Builders, Mac Monroe. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Mac Monroe, the Boss Builder. And what I'd like to do this week is talk about something that's very important to me, and that is the anatomy of a boss. We'll call this one bossology, kind of like biology, but about the boss. And we can look at this maybe as the basics. Maybe it's boss 101. But if you're listening to this podcast right now and you are somebody who is considered to be the boss, we're going to talk about the qualities of a bad boss and the qualities of a great boss. And I thought what we'd do is we would start with the graphic that you can see on the handout, which hopefully you downloaded from the show notes. If you haven't, then go ahead and pause the podcast. And if you're driving, make sure you pull over to the side of the road and pull out the handout because there's a couple of graphics on there I really would like you to look at. The first one is something maybe you've seen on LinkedIn. It's an internet meme that talks about the difference between a boss and a leader. And if it's in front of you now, you can kind of look at that and say, boy, those qualities of the boss, those look really, really bad and mean. And the leader, boy, it looks great. It looks like the leader is everybody's friend. The leader is somebody you want to be around. But the boss, oh my goodness, we'd never want to be the boss. You know, it's interesting because the world that I work in, where I work with managers at all levels and stages, I can tell you that there's a time and a place for some of that boss behavior. The question is then not is the boss the opposite of a leader, but does the leader even factor into what we're doing here? And I'll tell you right up front, they don't. We're not on the leader podcast. We're on the boss builder podcast. And so let's concentrate on the first column. If some of those things on that list of the boss make you feel a little uncomfortable, then let me offer two thoughts. Number one, there will be a time and a place where you're going to have to use your authority. You're going to have to crack down on some people because that's what needs to get done. And that's why you're in the role. You can't always be everybody's friend. You can't always be the person that everybody loves to be around because your job is to get stuff done. But if you really do have a problem with what's on that list, then why don't we do this? Let's think about what the opposite of that boss list would be. And let's just offer this as a thought. Maybe that list under boss is not the traits of any boss, but maybe that could be the traits of a bad boss. And so what would be the opposite of a bad boss? It's not a leader. The opposite of a bad boss is a good boss. Why don't we start by talking about the qualities I believe makes a good boss? And to help you, there's a little diagram on that handout. It looks like a triangle. Well, it is a triangle. It's got a little flame in the middle, and it's got three areas around it. I sort of adapted a model that I learned in the Navy. The model in the Navy was called the fire triangle. That's how we learn how to fight fires, keeping in mind that there's three elements that make a fire burn. There's fuel, there's heat, and there's oxygen. What I did is I tweaked the model a little bit and made the fire the effective manager, or maybe the great boss. And notice there's three elements that have to be in place for that fire to burn. And by the way, that's a good fire. The first element across the bottom then is the one that if you're listening to this podcast and you have been promoted into the role of the boss, this is probably what got you there. And that is it's your responsibility to fix systems and processes. If you are listening to this podcast in the middle of the day, there's a very good chance that you've already solved a bunch of problems. You probably are in the role because you were a master problem solver and somebody thought it would be a good idea to promote you to the role of the boss. And here you are. 
we need to know that you know how to fix stuff because if not, we're going to be afraid to even come to you with any questions. So that's a given. I'm not going to even worry about that one. But the second one I do want you to pay attention to, and that's what we call protecting the house. Now, I'm sure if you're the boss in, in any company anywhere, you've had to sit through mandatory HR training, which you've probably hated. But it's super important that you realize that you're, you are the first line of defense to any threats to an organization. Not just safety issues, but anything that could cause liability. Of course, right now in the news, the big thing is sexual harassment. It's ironic that this is a problem now because it's been a problem about every 10 years. There's some big spike or some incident that happens and it's on the forefront. The challenge for you as the boss is that you have to be the one at the you have to be the first one on the scene to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it's up to you to initiate the investigation and protect your house. So please pay attention when you have to sit in that really boring HR training because the fact that you sat through it and signed on that roster means that now you are accountable. So please take that responsibility very seriously. Your HR business partner will be very grateful that you did. The third element though is the one I find most bosses really, really don't really want to do or do very well, and that's developing people. It requires you to take an active interest in the development of your direct reports, working with them not only in career planning, but also being able to sit down with them and confronting them if their performance isn't up to speed. And for some folks, that's very difficult to do. So I would suggest that is a priority if you are listening to this podcast to say, listen, I'm going to sit through the HR training and I definitely am going to fix my systems and processes. But boy, I really need to get some information on how to develop people. Trust me, this will be coming up over and over in the Boss Builder podcast. So if you've subscribed to this podcast, don't worry, you will get plenty of that information. But keep in mind, if any of the three elements are not present, the fire goes out. You could be a great developer of people. You could be someone that can fix any problem. But if you don't know how to stop a liability, you're in big trouble. If you are a terrible problem solver and a terrible developer of people, but great at protecting the house, you're going to be a nitpicking tyrant. So remember, it's all about balance. It's looking and learning all of those three elements. And that's what makes a great boss. You know, the question is, are, are leaders or managers or bosses born or made? I'm going to tell you they're made and they take development. So I don't care who you are. If you commit yourself to development, you can be a great boss. The question is what makes a great boss? It's hard work. And that's what I want you to take on. That's a great boss. Now, you know, there's always a flip side to this. So why don't we spend a little time talking about the bad boss? Now, keep in mind what I do for a living is I travel about 35 weeks a year working with different companies, typically with management teams. And I have seen quite a bit in the 15 or so years I've been running hard like this. And so when I thought about it, as I was kind of outlining this talk, I thought, let me let me come up with probably the most common bad bosses that I that I see or I hear about. And let's give them labels. Now, if you've already downloaded the handout, you can see I've got seven of them right there. So what I want to do is I want to go through each of the seven. Now, here's the reason why. I want you to know that each of these seven are common. And I would say they are probably in the workplace balanced evenly. So I can't tell you that like number six is the most common of all. They're across the board. What I want to do is to make you aware of how these people show up at work so that you can do a little self-reflection and say, wow, am I being that kind of boss? If I am, I need to stop. 
So here we go. These are the top seven worst boss types if we're talking about bad bosses. Number one is the screamer. Uh, I have worked with plenty of screamers. When I was in the Navy working in the oral surgery department at Naval Hospital Long Beach, the surgeons were screamers. If they didn't get something right, they'd flip out. It's not like watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Now, these people throw instruments, they get mad, they swear at you, they call you an idiot, and that's a screamer. And I will tell you that it's very hard to respect a screamer. For some reason, they have this inability to keep things under control. And unfortunately, what that means is the person who's working for them, why they're the ones that are going to have to deal with it. So if you're a screamer, trust me, people will jump when you scream, but you will get the bare, bare minimum of results. So stop screaming. That's the first one. Here's the second one. I call this one the wuss. Now, this is the opposite of the screamer. This is the person who probably, as a direct report, got screamed at a lot. And so what they don't want to do is be the kind of screaming boss. So they're the complete opposite. They're the ones that will hide out in their office or cubicle, and they will not confront a problem. There may be something going on. There's somebody not performing well. There's issues going on. And what they do is they hide out. They're a big wuss. So I would tell you, if I have to choose between those two, which one's the worst? I'm going to tell you, it's the wuss every time. Because at least the screamer is active doing something. The wuss is hiding out. And, and there's a reason why we have them. And I'll give you a reason as we, after we get through this list. But if you're the kind of person that kind of runs away when there's a crisis, you're the big W. You're the big wuss. Don't be the wuss. Number three, it's the nitpicker. The nitpicker has great attention to detail. The challenge, of course, is that when you move to the role of the boss, it's really important that you start working and operating more strategically and you develop people who are the detail people. A nitpicker probably is a nitpicker because they've burn, been burned way too many times. They're afraid of being caught off guard. And so what they're going to do is they're going to get into every little detail. And it's mainly because somebody has told them what's the status on something. And they're going to say, I don't know. And their boss will say, you know what? You have to know everything. So they're going to be in all the details. Nothing is good enough. That's number three. That's the nitpicker. Number four is the control freak. The control freak is kind of like the nitpicker on steroids because not only are they looking at every possible flaw, but now they want control of everything because they're sick and tired of getting burned. One of their direct reports screw up, they get in trouble for it. So what they say is, I don't want that ever happen again. So they take control of everything. They are also known sometimes as micromanagers. And I, I really hesitate to use that word because I think that word is very special. And an additional podcast down the line, you're going to see where I use that word in a very positive way. So I'm not going to call a micromanager, but your experience with micromanagers is probably this control freak. The control freaks are insecure, so they mask the insecurity by getting in your business. That's number four. Number five is the person that plays favorites, favoritism. Now, there's a bit of a challenge here because sometimes the favoritism does not actually exist but it's a perceived favoritism. And the thing about favorites is that as human beings, we do this. You know, ask any parent that has two children or more and say, which one's your favorite? And here's what they're going to say. Oh, I, I love them equally. I have no favorites. But they're lying. And I know this. So here's the deal. We all have a favorite. And the thing about the favorite is not that they're special. They just might be a little bit more like us than the other one. We love them equally but there's one that just got a little bit of a favor. 
Now, this isn't just for children. I think we have this in relationships. You could go back to your old Sunday school days and think about Jesus, right? So he's got all these people following him. And of the, all the people, he's got 12 that are his favorites. But of the 12, he still has favorites of the favorites. He's got three, Peter, James, and John. And those three are his favorites. But one of them, John, swears up and down as he's writing his letter that he was the disciple Jesus loves. Now, we don't know because they're not here to ask, but favoritism happens. Well, here's the deal. Number one, if that favoritism, which by the way is normal and natural, starts to get out or it becomes evident and people notice, now you have a real problem. And the thing is, once it's noticed, now people will start looking for other evidence of the favoritism. And whether or not it's real, the fact that it's perceived makes it a reality, which means you have to be very careful with that. Which means as a person who maybe is seen as the person that plays favorites, broaden your scope a little bit and look for others on your team that have the same skills or maybe different skills, but equally valuable skills. Number seven is the inconsistent boss. Now the inconsistent boss is inconsistent in many different ways. The first major inconsistency is they're very unpredictable. You don't really know what you're going to get when they walk in. Uh, years and years and years ago, while I was still in high school, uh, I worked as a daycare person and it was at a church school and there was three or four other guys that worked with me there. And our running thing was what's going to happen when Jim gets here? Because Jim was our boss. He was the director. And Jim was kind of an oddball guy. He would come in sometimes in this jovial mood and sometimes he was just grumpy and sometimes he was just like giving you the silent treatment. No day was predictable. You just never knew what you were going to get. So our little running code word was, okay, today is not a good day to ask the boss for a raise. And that's when we knew Jim was not in a good mood. So that's the first piece of inconsistency is how you're showing up every day. But then there's the other inconsistencies, which probably lead to that idea of favoritism. I'm treating some people different or better than the other. It's inconsistent. My quality of work is inconsistent. The quality of depth in my development conversations is inconsistent. And I understand how hard it is to be consistent if you're in some sort of an industry or a company that's really fast paced. But this is where you're going to have to be very deliberate. Take your time and reflect. The last one there, number seven, is the idiot boss. And if you were to take a look at that little fire triangle model on your handout there, this is the one that doesn't know how to fix systems and processes. This is somebody who's probably promoted for reasons other than their competence. And trust me, folks, this does happen. It could be a form of nepotism, somebody's relative. It could be somebody brown knows their way to the top. But the thing is, they have the positional authority, but they're too doggone stupid to be good at their job, which means they lose respect. And when they lose respect, they probably act out by either screaming or being a wuss or a nitpicker or a control freak, which makes the situation even worse. And it simply magnifies the fact that they don't know what they're doing. Now, I'm pretty certain there's more than just seven, and I'll bet you've seen all seven and probably more. But the big question is, what causes a person to be a bad boss? And I'm going to suggest it's one major thing. They were put in the role without adequate preparation. You know, the whole purpose behind this Boss Builder podcast is to give you, the boss, maybe the information you never got when you were somebody who was promoted. 
And if you didn't have that, it's very possible that you're learning on the job, which is a pretty tough way to be the boss. But the other reason it happens is that if you don't have that, what you're then doing is you're, you're looking at some of the bosses you've worked for and you say, they did that, so I must do that too. What I would hope you would do is to say, wow, they did that, that was wrong, I'm going to do the opposite. But keep in mind, doing the opposite can be wrong too. Let's say, for example, you had a boss that was a screamer. And because you have no formal development as a boss now, you'll say, I don't want to be the screamer, so I'm going to cut people some slack, which means that you're going to be the wuss. And I can tell you right up front that if you give people the choice between the wuss or the screamer, they're probably going to pick the screamer every time. Years ago, this is when I was working with Captain Davies, remember from the uh, first podcast, uh, I remember that I saw it as my job to protect my 22 direct reports, my technicians. And so I would do things, I would cover their mistakes. If they complained about something, I would be the first one to try to quell it. I had their back at every turn. And that was a very tough couple of years. Well, as it happened in this command, my wife was stationed at the command. We were both dental technicians, both of the same rank. And so the command wanted to move me out of the clinic and have me take over the IT department because our IT person retired. And since I knew how to plug a computer in the wall, I got the job. And so what happened is I went to headquarters and they put my wife as the leading petty officer of the Bangor Subbase Clinic. Now, she is very different from me in every way possible. She will yell and scream. She'll get after people. And so I thought this is really going to be interesting because they're going to see a drastic difference here. Well, about a year went by because this was a four-year tour, so you had plenty of time. And I remember going back to my old clinic, and, and I had been kind of finishing up my master's degree in organizational leadership, so I was kind of in this research mode. And I remember going back to the clinic, and I said to some of the people there, I said, hey, listen, so you've had uh, two very different styles of manager here. Um, of the two, between me and the other petty officer, Monroe, which one do you like the best? And of course, I knew exactly what they'd say. They would love me, because who would not love the boss who cut everybody some slack? And each one of them told me, you know, we really liked you, but we love the other petty officer Monroe. I said, how could you do that? She's on your case all the time. They says, I know. But see, with you, we knew that if you said no, we could break you. We could get you to say yes, because you weren't the kind of person that would confront stuff. She, on the other hand, when she says no, we know it's no, we move on. We respect that. You know, I learned a valuable lesson that day that people do expect you to step up. And even though it may be going against how you're wired as an individual, it's very important that you look at the audience, you look at the task. So what I can tell you is bad bosses, they are the kind of people that are sort of developed the same way good bosses are, but they're developed through inaction on their development, which is why it's really important if you're the boss to take active steps to grow in your development as the boss. You know, we at Boss Builders have a lot of tools and resources that I think would be helpful. Number one, of course, is this podcast. Number two, I have a regular blog, which you can read at macmonroe.com. I update that every week. There's also a free copy of one of my books that you can download. It's at greatbossbook.com. And when you download that, you'll hear from me every week with a link to my latest blog posts. And then, of course, we have our Boss Builder Academy, which enables you to kind of learn self-paced how to be the boss. You can view more information on that at thebossbuilders.com. Either way, folks, the basics of being a boss 
are pretty basic. It's all what you do with that power that makes the difference. So what I'd like you to commit to this week is to just do a little self-evaluation. Ask yourself, what kind of boss are you? Are you the great boss that has the balance between fixing systems and problems, protecting the house and developing people? Or are you in the other category, the screamer, the wuss, the nitpicker, the control freak, the person that plays favorites, the inconsistent, or worst of all, the idiot? Folks, it's better you figure this out on your own than to ask others, because you may not like what you hear. So take some time this week, reflect on that, and I'll see you next time on our next edition of the Boss Builder Podcast. You've been listening to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast with Mac Monroe. To get more information on being a great boss, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com or at Mac's blog, macmonroe.com. Until next time, get out there and be a great boss.